When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm Spencer Toon. I'm Sabrina Toon. That's right, folks. This week, we're featuring my lovely wife. You can't see, but just know that she's lovely. (laughs) So, Brandon uh, had to drop out of the podcast uh, due to personal reasons, Um, you know, balancing uh, life and things like that. So... He's uh, probably not going to be on the show anymore. Maybe he'll come back as a guest one day. We'll have to see. But for now, there's going to be some changes going on. And uh, while we're in the middle of those changes, my wonderful wife has... uh, Well, she didn't really volunteer. I asked her. But she's so amazing. She's going to help me out with this week's episode. I'm going to sit here and give you someone to talk to. And you can talk too, babe. So she's not a big Ninja Turtle fan. but. She did major in English while she was in college. I did. I did that useless thing. So she's got an analytical mind for literature. And while this may be no on Walden Pond, it's still literature. So let's begin. The Ancient One did tell me a story I think you guys would want to hear about Master Splinter's master, Hamato Yoshi. Well, let's hear it. So... Something I forgot to mention, including the other episodes and some behind the scenes on these comics, a little fun fact, uh, is that Eastman and Laird both touched every single page of these comic books. So, like, all the art, they made sure that both of them had uh, touched and done some of the art on every page. So they would just kind of pass it back and forth to one another and combine their two styles together. So I think that's pretty cool. It's a very unique way to work on comics. Yeah, I'm sure it gave it a unique look, you know, something different from the rest of the time going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one of that's something I've just thought is really cool. Uh, and it's definitely something, like I said, very unique. Um, the other thing that this issue features in our behind the scenes bits is that it's the very first appearance ever of April, Baxter Stockman, and the Mousers. Uh, We also kind of end up in this comic, uh, well, these two comics we're going to cover today, issues two and three. We start to see the emergence of the characters' personalities. You see Don being the tech guy. Uh, Leo kind of takes over as a leader, tells people what to do. Uh, Raph, you know, you kind of start seeing him be more of the loose cannon and the hothead. You see a bit of that in the first issue with him being the one that loves going out and and, uh, fighting people. And... Mikey, you don't quite see his personality a bit. You do kind of see him being a bit of a nice guy. He seems to compliment April's stuff more than any of the other turtles. 
Um, but he hasn't quite developed that personality yet. And you actually do hear Eastman and Laird talk about how Mikey was the hardest one for them to kind of nail down a personality for. So our story for these two issues begins with the turtles hanging out in their sewer lair. Uh, Splinter's watching TV. Leo's reading a book. Donatello's working on some sort of microchip computer thing. And Raph and Mikey are fighting. They're sparring. Uh, and while they're doing all this, on the news comes a story about a scientist and his assistant, April. And they have these little robots that look like little armless T-Rexes with jaws. And they hunt mice. And they're going to get rid of the city's rat problem with these. And, of course, Splinter is very troubled seeing these creatures that hunt rats in the sewers, all these robots. Being a big rat himself. Being a massive rat. Yes, it's bad news for him. So he goes off to meditate, and after that, we cut to April and Baxter. So April uh, ends up mentioning to Baxter that there's these robberies going on, some really strange robberies at these banks, little tiny holes going up into, into vaults. And the money's all gone. And she's just like, that's that's a lot like our mousers. This is pretty sus. I love how bold she is with it, too. Like, she's not even, like, kind of thinking to herself, like, this is a little suspicious. Just directly eye to eye with Baxter Stockman. Hey, the only one that could do these crimes is our mousers. <laughs> I mean, yes. But she is suggesting that maybe someone has gotten their hands on a few of them. No, she's not saying Baxter Stockman herself or like himself is uh, committing these crimes, but she's like, these are definitely the mousers. Yes, and Baxter, of course, is blowing it off like it's nothing. And then he's like, hey, come here. I want to show you something. And he takes her into the elevator, starts acting mad sus. April is not happy with it. This is before the Me Too mo like movement. <laughs> A little bit. And it takes her into his secret basement where there is tons and tons and tons, way more mousers than he should have. And so April asks, where are you getting all this money? And he's just like, it has been me who's been doing the robberies. And you're going to die because, you know, you kind of seem to be onto me a little bit. And so then she ends up uh, trying to run off. And while she tries to run off. Was he going to kill her right out? Or was he like kind of explaining the plan to like maybe see if she'd be into it? It just seems like he wanted someone to brag to because he's he's very much a stereotypical psychopath. Right, the narcissism and everything in with it. So, okay, that makes sense. Just yeah. wanting to show her what he was doing and then kill her. I think he was probably planning to kill her the whole time. That would be my guess. He just wanted to, to brag to someone because he felt special. So, uh, anywho, he... April tries to run away. He sets off a trap door on her that drops her in the sewers. And then he sends his mousers after her. And then the turtles end up, because they're also down in the sewers, end up jumping in and saving her. And there's the whole bit where she faints. And that's like a repeated bit that you see over and over again in Ninja Turtles is when April first runs into the turtles. She is just so shocked that she faints. So they bring her back to the lair. Both of them exchange their background stories of what's going on. And on the news, you end up hearing that some mysterious person is threatening to pretty much take down the whole city unless he gets his ransom money. And of course, you know, that's Baxter Stockman. The Turtles know. And so they decide to go after him. And they go into his lair. They KO him. They beat him. But Baxter has set everything up so that 
if you know he's beaten or defeated, that everything's going to self-destruct. And so all the mousers come back to his lair. Turtles are fighting for their lives, trying to stay alive, while April and Donatello are furiously working at the computers, trying to get figure out a way to shut them down. And the only way they figure out how to do it is to shut down all of the power to the whole everything, to the whole building. So they successfully do that, and they barely stay alive. And that's the end of issue three. So, sorry, issue two. That's the end of issue two. The beginning of issue three, we now have them emerging from the sewers, leaving where they left Baxter Stockman behind. They uh, get April out, and she's able to head home. And then the turtles go back to their lair. And they get to their lair and they see that the whole thing is trashed. Splinter is not there. We don't know what's happened. They're really worried. Leo, oh, there's, there's little bits of blood. There's blood. So they're scared. And so then they end up calling Splinter. Not Splinter. Calling April. And so she comes and picks them up in her van. And while she's driving in her van, there's been an APB for a bank robbery done by people driving a van that looks exactly like hers. So the cops try and pull him over. Uh, of course, she cannot pull over when she's got four mutant turtles that need to keep their existence a secret in the back of her van. So she has to drive. Mikey rips off the plates from the back, and there just ends up being this big, massive car chase across New York City. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty long. Car Cop cars are sent crashing into buildings. Um, you know, cop movie references are made and racing references, as we've learned. And they end up, towards the end, getting really lucky and driving by the guys who actually did the bank robbery. And they tip their car as they're going by on accident as they cut them off. And the cops, of course, stop and find the bank robbers in this van. And so they think they've caught them. Well, because they have caught the bank robbers, but, you know, they thought it was the same van the whole time. And they successfully make it back to April's apartment, where they all pass out because they're exhausted. So we move into an epilogue, where we see Splinter having to fight the Mousers. So after the Turtles had left to go take down Baxter, Mousers came in and attacked Splinter in the lair. And while he put up a pretty good fight, he's eventually overrun, and he gets pretty injured. But before he can be killed, they all end up heading back to the lair uh, because that's where the turtles are at in their story is when they're going is when all the mouses are coming back to destroy everything. So Splinter is barely alive, struggling to survive when a couple of strange TCRI workers find him and they take him back with them and then Splinter gets up after having passed out, wakes up in this facility, and he goes to scope out what's going on, and he ends up seeing Utroms. So I also forgot to mention, this is our very first appearance of Utroms back at the beginning of this. And he sees that they have like peeled off their human skin over the top of these robo-exoskeletons, and there's these little octopus-looking aliens in the stomach of these robots. And he's shocked. And that ends issue three. So we'll now move into our next segment, the second time around. Hey, uh, nice junk. 
So, in issue two, there's a fun, like fun little Easter eggs, and also things I guess kind of date it. One is that Leo is reading Dune. It's a fun Easter egg because just because I know that, uh, at least I'm pretty sure from hearing him talk about what he's into and things like that from reading blogs, that Peter Laird is a pretty big sci-fi guy. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's the one that put that in there. Um, you know, another thing is, you know, there's rabbit ears on the TV. Those are something of a bygone era now. And apparently, so I actually asked Brandon this a while ago. Apparently jumpsuits were a thing in the 80s. People actually wore those. I didn't know that because, you know, I was born in 1997. Um, and another thing was another little fun Easter egg I found in there is that the turtles yell that turtles die with honor, which if you ever watched the 87 series got turned into a catchphrase, which is turtles fight with honor instead of die. You know, it's a little less intense. Once again, they sanitize it, put it in there, but it's the first time we ever read that. And I thought that was a fun, a fun thing. I did notice um, just while we're going on with it, uh, Baxter Stockman kind of referencing, you know, classic James Bond villains. Mm -hmm. um, anytime he's holding a mouser, it's in that very stereotypical, like, evil guy with a big fluffy cat position, which is just really <laughs> hilarious because it's this metal T-Rex monstrosity that he's cradling like a cat. <laughs> There's babies, babe. Yes. It just, like, the second I looked at that, I'm like, that's like a James Bond villain right there. That's like, you expect him to swivel around in his chair and be like, I've been expecting you, Miss O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I, I didn't notice that when I read it until you pointed it out to me. And I think that was a pretty good catch. It probably wouldn't surprise me if they were referencing that with that. Don't know if it was on purpose, but it's just what it made me instantly think of. It's a lot of fun. All right. So in issue number three, uh, they make a couple references that I didn't know what they were. And I had to Google them to figure out what they were because I had no idea. Uh, at one point, Mikey or one of the turtles says that this is like Hill Street. Uh, I had no idea what Hill Street was. So we Googled it and what we could find was Hill Street Blues, which was an old cop drama. So it's, it's like an old cop show. Uh, and then the other thing was they say like Richard Petty, like something about like April driving like Richard Petty, something like that. That makes sense. Yes. And he's a race car driver. I also didn't know that. Nicknamed the King. I imagine because he won a lot i don't know i think he's just supposed to be amazing and another fun reference was someone saying i pity the man and i feel like that's a mr t reference to i pity the fool and uh another thing in there that kind of just shows it dates it a little bit but it also shows a lot of where peter laird and kevin eastman were drawing their in in inspiration from which was the comics they read uh, which you know goes back dates back to the Silver Age, when characters just make funny exclamations. So like in these comics, there's a guy that's like he yells "Holy, holy hippo spit!" as he's jumping out of the way of April's swerving car in the park. Or April at one point calls Baxter Stockman a sludge puppy, and that's very Silver Age comic-y. I mean, I haven't read. I mean, it's blasphemy, but I still haven't read any Jack Kirby comics. But <laughs> I have been reading old Silver Age Green Lantern. And they yell stuff like jumping fish hooks or great guardians and, and stuff like that as you're reading it. 
And so I think that that is very much inspiration drawn from those old comics where they would yell all sorts of funny, funny catchphrases. Um, did you have anything that you noticed in issue three that you'd want to mention? No, just about, I mean, there's the whole page where, um, when they finally do catch the bank robbers, mm-hmm. you could definitely see, um, Eastman and Laird having fun with all the cop language, trying to like figure out the 8 billion ways you can tell someone to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like a cop is yelling like cease and desist, you know, stop your movements. Just like every single cop is yelling out something else that basically... Do not ambulate. Yeah, do not ambulate. You know, every cop is yelling something that's like, don't move. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the one cop that's like, make my day, punk. Yeah, make my day, punk. I mean, but he's holding like a gun in his face. So I think that's like universal language of don't freaking move. <laughs> That same thing, same thing. All right, then we'll move on to our next segment, anchovies. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I can't let you know. All right, so I couldn't actually find a lot of anchovies, and it's probably because I'm biased because I just love these books. They're some of my favorites. The only thing I could kind of dig out of issue number two is that Baxter Stockman is a bit of a stereotype with being a psychopath. But in a world where we always have villains that have to have like such deep twisted motives all the time now in all writing, it's kind of fun to have that classic psychopath anyway. You know, there are some things that feel a little bit more like a, a Silver Age because I'm evil type thing, but he never directly says because I'm evil. So it's better written than, you know, say Sinestro from Silver Age Green Lantern comics, who's just like, I did it because I'm evil. No, his, his motivation is very clear. It's money. He yeah. wants money. He wants money, but he doesn't just want money because April tells him he can make money, you know, the right way very easily. He can make a ton of money, but he says this way it's more fun. Yeah, I, I think so. there's also the weird power trip from it, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So he has a bit of a stereotypical psychopath, but it's written better than it was back in the Silver Age. You know, where they would just say, oh, I'm doing it because it's bad and I'm bad. But at the same time, uh, it is a bit of a stereotype. And I feel like they flesh it out and like make that whole uh, psychopath type tendency thing. I feel like they do it really well in the 2003 series with the episode Insane in the Membrane, which I've made you watch. That one messed me. (laughs) And I feel like they really like deep, like kind of do a deep dive ish into the psychology of a psychopath there. And you kind of see a story that's actually really similar to uh, Bullseyes in Daredevil, just a lot more condensed as far as going back and showing him having a North Star in his life that helped him stay on the right path. Bullseye from at least what we've seen. From what we've seen, seen. yes. From from the Daredevil TV show uh, on Netflix. I haven't finished all of Frank Miller's run, but I have read most of it, and that none of that's in there. It might have come later, uh, if it is in the comics. Mm. I'm I'm trying to get better at knowing more Daredevil because I really do like those. I just haven't read more, and I couldn't really find anything in issue three that I didn't like. Um, I mean, you could say that nothing really happened in it; that it was just a car chase for almost the whole issue. But at the same time, I can't complain about that because I feel like that's what made it so special as far as an issue and so much fun to read so you know if you're someone that i guess likes super thick deep story all the time every time then you'd probably have that complaint but i don't have that complaint i think what they did there was great i'll just come at it from like a new reader perspective because i'm not a huge comic reader 
Mm-hmm. It's not what I spend my time doing, but um, just kind of like with the whole car say like scene chase, it is a little hard to tell who's talking at what point. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's a problem kind of throughout a lot of the Mirage series because the turtles, you know, everything's in black and white. You can't tell which turtles who unless you see their weapons. Yeah, that's that's basically what I've been going off on this point as I'm like, all right, you've got sword seared Leo. Yeah. But when there's no weapons out and, you know, they're all kind of bottled in one mess, they're all identical. It's kind of hard to tell who's who. And I don't know if it's like super crucial to know in that moment, but yeah. it is definitely... Especially if, like, you're not super familiar with, like, personality types of turtles. And especially in, like, these early issues where, like, they're not super defined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little it, hard. Yeah, the Mirage series doesn't have the strongest characterization, especially at the beginning. It takes some time to, to flesh the personalities out. And, and that probably is actually one one weakness to them as far as its storytelling goes. Is it's a lot more focused on the adventure. It's a lot more story and plot driven than it is then it is character driven. Right. And that's totally fine. That's just like the one thing that I would say that like, as a new reader, it was kind of confusing to be like, who is talking right now? Mm-hmm. I, I can agree with that. All right. Then we'll move on to our next segment. I love being a turtle. Oh, I love being a turtle. So one of the things that I absolutely loved in issue two is the designs for the mousers. I feel like those are iconic designs. That's what I was about to say is they're iconic. Like I remember like growing up, like my siblings and I, maybe we watched like three episodes of the 2003 series, Uh but that first episode definitely shows the mousers. And then, you know, fast forward 10, 12 years to when you and I start dating and we're playing that arcade game, Mm -hmm. you know, and I go, oh no, mousers. And you're just like... (laughs) Like, it's so iconic that, honestly, you could never forget it or get it confused with anything else. Like, if you've seen it once, you know what that is forever. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's such a great design, and I like it. And, you know, that was one of those moments where I was just like, I love this woman <laughs> when we were dating. <laughs> um, another thing that I really loved is Baxter Stockman being, like, multiple steps ahead already you know from that very first issue that's something that he has and as you see other versions of him later uh he has that same thing going on like in the idw series and stuff yeah kind of like that you know not like a crazy like psychopath but like a smart psychopath who always has like a contingency plan Mm -hmm. yeah he's always he's always working the new new angle and so he's always got something going on there and i i really like like that in a villain you know, when they're actually hard to defeat and they kind of, you know, screw with your mind a little bit. I think that makes a great villain. And I, I enjoy that. Uh, I love the funny name calling, you know, April calling him a sledge puppy. It makes me laugh. It's it's super funny in that moment. Just like she's moments away from like death. And it's just like, that's what you're going to throw out. Sledge puppy. So, and like I said, that's totally a reference to Silver Age comics. It's funny when you're reading those. I I read them out loud sometimes with Brie just to get a good laugh because they're so campy and and they've got funny stuff like that. And there's there's things to poke fun at and they're a lot of fun. And they were probably doing that as they wrote these issues uh, when they were writing their comics. Uh, Something I loved in issue number three was a car chase in comics. So like cars are not very, 
they're not really something that you ever end up seeing in dynamic poses mm-hmm. or, you know, they don't have a lot of movement going on other than just their wheels. And so portraying a car chase in comics could potentially be very, very boring as you just see one car here, one car there. And it can also, I feel like, be hard to portray motion with those. Unlike, you know, a character punching, you can see them, you know, in the pose of a punch and, and moving their arm, you know, by by the position they're in. Cars, not so much. A parked car, when you draw a parked car, looks exactly like a car that's moving unless you do something to create motion uh, with it. And so I really love the fact that they were able to actually make a full comic book where they had a whole car chase and it was still exciting and it was still fun to read. I think it's an awesome comic. No, even with like basically because it's just like still shots almost of like this Mm -hmm. car chase, you know, it's what's happening around the cars and like what's going to next panel that like kind of makes it interesting. You know, there's like, you know, the people on the bridge that have to jump into the river because the van is coming or, Mm -hmm. you know, the bushes being destroyed. And you can kind of see that like, you know, in like three uh, panels. Mm hmm. Like, as it goes, you know, it's kind of that's what defines it to me is like, because there's not a whole lot you can do to make that still thing look motionless, obviously, like with the car drawing. Mm -hmm. But um, you can do a lot with the surrounding. And I think that's what kind of sold it for me. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. I just realized that as I was reading it, that it was amazing they're doing that with cars. See? (laughs) I told you you'd be great at this podcast thing. Yeah, yeah. I had to convince her. One episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is just going to be one episode. But uh, no, it's amazing that they he, they actually managed to pull that off. It's probably one of my favorite issues for that reason. So they just are able to show motion with those cars incredibly well. Uh, the last thing that I really loved was the bottom panel on page 10. You've got a cop car crashing into a window, into a storefront window. And you just see like the window shattering around it and crashing down on it. And it, it just, I think it looks really great. I, I, the art there is fantastic. Throughout the whole issue is fantastic, mm-hmm. but I like the way they portray the window shattering. No, that one panel must have taken forever just to draw every single little shard and crack that's happening there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, back in this time, they were not releasing issues monthly. Mm-hmm. Like it took them forever just to write issue two. And so they, they definitely took their time and made the art look good for, for every issue. All right, so next we'll move on to Channel 6 News. Uh, There hasn't really been any new news this week. New news. New news. Not really anything going on. Uh, Other than I have seen, I've been trying to Google other places to like double check it, but I have heard that The Last Ronin has been postponed, issue two, to January 27th. So we're going to be waiting an extra month for that. And I have heard that there's apparently people that, I don't know, are really upset over it. Just remember that 2020 has been a really rough year. It's uh, hard to get all those, all all the paper and everything you need and all the supplies you need now for that kind of thing. And so, you know, you can cut the people working on it some slack. They're doing the best job they can to get this book to us and to make it as good as it can possibly be. So just be kind to the people working on it because... Just be kind. Just be kind. It's tough. And that's all I really have to say for Channel 6 News. Uh, So next week, hopefully we'll be uh, going over issue, well not issue, but uh, episode numbers four and five of the 
1987 series. Be sure to like and subscribe uh, to the podcast and to all of our social media pages. They're under Nerd Ninja Turtle Power Hour, or the handle is typically Ninja Turtle PH on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, We'd love to hear your feedback, hear what you have to say on episodes, comment on it. Please let us know what you think. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, cowabunga dudes. Cowabunga dudes. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.